Thank you, ladies. We are in the book of Revelation and uh, finishing up chapter 7 this morning, verses 9 through 17. And next week, we're going to take a break as the 4th of July is coming up to have a message looking at some of the great history of our country, a blessing uh, of a foundation of, of God in our land. And then Cindy and I are going to be out of town the next week. David's going to fill in for me. And I think when I come back after that, I might take a little break from Revelation and, and come back to it, thinking about the book of Jonah. But anyway, let's uh, turn to Revelation 7, beginning at verse 9, and ask you to stand in our great God's honor as I read from his word. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. God, I love the sections of revelation that take us to heaven. Your word says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for for them who love him. And Father, I, I thank you that we catch a glimpse from your word. And Father, I pray you speak to our hearts as we think about that glorious time when we too will be there, Lord. Father, we ask that you continue to move through the rest of this time. And we simply want your spirit to continue to touch our hearts, Lord, to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like everybody else, I've gotten where I use my cell phone a whole lot, and I like a lot of the conveniences. But there's one thing I found out about a cell phone that I don't like. It's called a selfie. Man, they're popular. A lot of people take selfies. I tried to move up in the technological age, and I took a selfie, and, well, just to be quite honest with you, yuck. Who is that guy? I looked at that. I said, is that really what I look like? Surely that's a bad angle. A bad profile. You know, it's it's really hard because on the inside, you never feel 
quite that old. But the truth is, I must be getting a lot older. I looked at that thing. Okay, enough of that. But, but you know the feeling. I, I heard a story about an elderly lady, and she went in for a dentist appointment for the, a new dentist, and she noticed this guy's name, and she thought, you know, I, I think that I went to school with him and graduated with him in the 1960s. And man, he was a, he was a good-looking young guy. Tall and dark, you know, handsome. Had a crush on him. Thought if it's the same, I wonder if it's the same guy. So she goes in, a little disappointed. The guy is kind of tall, but not quite as handsome as she remembered. So, you know, during the chat of becoming acquainted, she's sitting in the dental chair. She asked him if he attended Morgan Park High School. He said, yes, I did. And she said, well, what year did you graduate? 1965. That's when I graduated, 1965. We were in the same class together. He looked at her real closely. He said, well, wow, what class did you teach? (laughs) Ow! That hurts. Yeah. Then I heard about... uh, these three ladies, these sisters that lived together. One was 96, one was 94, and one was 92. The 96-year-old headed upstairs, started a bath. And she yelled downstairs to her sisters, I need help. What's wrong? I can't remember. Am I getting into the tub or am I getting out of the tub? And so the 94-year-old sister started up the stairs and she stopped midway in the stairs. And she said, help. And her sister says, what's wrong? She said, I don't remember if I'm coming up the stairs or if I'm going down the stairs. So the 92-year-old sitting at the table, she thought, oh, this is so embarrassing. My sisters have lost their minds. And I sure hope I don't ever get old enough to lose my mind. Knock on wood. Girls, I'll be there to help you as soon as I answer the door. (laughs) Man, as the years go by, We look back and say, where did the days go? Where did the time go? But when we think about our lives as we know them here, they're just simply an opening phrase in the long book. Matter of fact, really about all we know is the once upon a time. But as we look at the story that's before us, all of eternity, we have a majestic adventure that we will enjoy. Thanks be to God. Who has made all this possible and all this a reality for his people. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. We read in his word. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. May be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor. When Jesus Christ is revealed. He's revealed. The hymn writer put it well when he said it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. 
So we come to our text. Because there is a great multitude who are in heaven. Verse 9, we read, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Now, let's look at our outline and just look at a couple of questions about this great multitude of people that you couldn't even count. There were so many of them. First question, where did this vast number of people come from? Well, drop down to verse 14, right in the middle of the verse. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 24 coined this term, the great tribulation. Yes, the church is facing great tribulation as we see people who are losing their lives. And we read about what happens to believers and what ISIS is, the the death that that group is bringing. But yet there's an article here that says not, great tribulation but the great tribulation which is a fulfillment of prophecy talking about those last three and a half years of that period of suffering and in verse 14 of our text he says these are they who have come out of the great tribulation could be translated these are the ones who are presently coming out of the great Tribulation, And we looked at last time in our study of Revelation, 144,000 of God's witnesses, Jewish witnesses, who were filled to the full with the Spirit of God and who were proclaiming the great message of the gospel. And the message was going out and people were hearing and people were coming to Christ. And so now we see heaven and And the result of God's work through those witnesses is there are people who have come to Christ and they have lost their lives because of their faithfulness to Christ. But they didn't lose. They gained heaven. And man, they're flooding into heaven as a result of the witness of these 144,000. So many, you can't count them. What a great multitude. Matter of fact, Scripture, you know, it says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And thus the bodies. We die there in a type of sleep, and, and one day we'll be raised in Christ. But our, our spirit goes directly into the presence of God. And, and we see these many believers who are entering into heaven. So, second question. Who are these people? Uh, notice the second part of verse 9. We see some detail. It says they... Are people from every nation, (laughs) tribe, people, and language. In other words, these are people that are not brought together because of their differences. Maybe they don't all speak English, obviously. Maybe they're all not from one specific area of the world, one geographical location. Or not just one family. There'll be more than Freemans up there. But these people are united, not by their differences, but what what has brought them together, which is the perfect work of Jesus Christ, who paid for their sins 
and brought them to heaven. You know, it's interesting. You look in Revelation chapter 6, back at verse 16, as we've been looking at these seals and the judgments that are coming. In verse 16, in the previous chapter, chapter 6, we read, They call to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So chapter 6 talks about this great number of people who have rejected God, who have turned away from the Savior from, from God Almighty, and, and, and there's, they see the judgments coming, and they're saying, we just want to hide from God because of the wrath of His judgment. So you have that group of people, but praise God, you have this other group of people that we're looking at here in chapter 7 that are not running away from God, saying, hide me rocks, but they've ran to God. And so now they're coming into heaven, this great multitude, finally receiving the rest that they have found in the only one who brings Rest for eternity. Jesus Christ. Third question. Why are so many people saved during the tribulation? Because God, in His great grace, is reaching out with His mercy one final time. You know, we, we think of the rapture and God's church is removed and therefore God's love, God's mercy is removed. But not totally. God still longs for people to love Him and to know Him and to find the rest and identity in Him that we're all meant to have. That's what our God longs for. That is His heart. One author um, described this like riding on an airplane... And people who ride frequently on an airplane, you know, they come in, they sit down, and then they go through the protocol where you have the person comes in there and they drop down the mask. What happens, you know? And you have these flotation devices. And, and, and you know, some people have heard this so much that they don't even listen anymore. You know, what to do in case of trouble on the aircraft? So they miss the warnings. And, and they miss the outline of what to do in case of the aircraft going down. See, the book of Revelation, it, it's like the warning. It's got the truth of what's going to happen. That God's judgment will come. And, 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 and you need to be ready for it. You need to listen to the warning. And you need to receive the escape that He provides. God is not going to be ignored. In this time, He will take the great place of sovereignty and power that is His. That is His. He still reaches out. You know, remember the parable in Matthew 20 that talks about there are those who worked for the landowner in the early part of the day and those who came in the middle of the day to work and those who came at the close of the day and they all received the same wage because they came to the landowner. Regardless of when we come to Christ, it's never been about our works. It's never been about what we do. It's always been about what He has done on the cross. And it's about giving our hearts to that truth and that work and placing our great faith in the accomplishment that was won fully at Calvary. And that's what we see. As they pour into heaven, they have heard that message and they've received that hope. Now, let's look at some observations 
of the great multitude. I just want to make several here. Uh, first, and what these people are wearing. Go, go back here, look at verse 9 again. We read they were wearing white robes. The white robes signify purity. Signify that they have been made clean. You know, it's beautiful in Scripture as it talks about that our skin, our sins were as scarlet, red as crimson, but they'll be made white as snow. And the picture here is uh, of those, the, the clothing, their lives that others could see, they had been soiled, um, they had been bloodied. But the irony of it all is, through the Scriptures, it is the blood that cleanses. It is the blood that makes pure. Roman generals in that day, they would, uh, in their victory parades, they would march through with white robes, signifying the fact that they were victors, that they were conquerors. And those who they flood into heaven, although they look like they had been defeated, as their lives were taken from them, they were victors as they marched in to heaven. With those white robes signifying that victory that came by the washing with the blood of Christ to make them pure. You know, it's interesting as you look through the scriptures, it does seem odd when you first hear, how can being washed with blood make you white? And yet in Genesis 9 verse 4, we're told in the text there, that the life is in the blood. And it is without shedding of blood. There is no remission or removal of sin. And, and there were sacrifices that were made. And, and it required blood to be spilled. And ultimately as you go down through the scripture. We are told that the perfect sacrifice was made. This wasn't the sacrifice of the blood of many lambs. But the sacrifice of the one perfect lamb. The lamb of God. Who Remember, John looked at him and he said, Behold, look, the one who takes away the sin of the world. It's the Lamb of God. And that is what is being described here. Listen to the words here from one guy, commentator. He said, These saints have washed their garments white and have become pure and victorious because they've washed them in the totality of Jesus Christ, both in the shedding of His blood as the sinless Lamb of God and in the perfection of His deity and life as God the Son who lived and died and lives again forevermore. Secondly, look here. Notice what the saints are holding. Look at the end of verse 9 here. It says they were holding palm branches in their hands. Remember in, in John chapter 12, there is a scene of Jesus as he is riding in to the city of Jerusalem. And the people are waving palm branches. And this signified royalty. And they were making a declaration as he marched in. Remember what they shouted. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel. That's John 12 verse 13. In other words, they were saying, here comes the king. And, and as they had these palm branches, they were making a declaration. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus. Now, notice 
what the multitude is saying. Look at verse 10 here. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now this ought to get you a little excited. Picture that. We've done a few times here as we've talked about in heaven. This is one of those things, guys, that's going to be declared in heaven in a loud voice. It's not going to be salvation in here. No, it's going to be loud. And man, it's going to be passionate. Why? Because they're looking to their Savior. Man, uh, I wouldn't do that. Let's do, let, we, let's do our best. Try to, uh, just repeat after me. I'm going to say it loud. I don't see if you can say it louder. Salvation belongs to our God. Amen. Who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. Now get used to that. Because that's going to be happening up there. It gives me holy goosebumps. Just think about that stuff. Now I want to look at three truths from this great declaration in heaven. The first, as the saints are singing, it's about His great salvation. You guys know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not, it's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's not about anything we do. It's about the Lamb. It's about His grace. It's about placing our faith in that wonderful grace of God. That's what it's about. <laughs> uh, Hebrews 2 verse 3 says, How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's, it's salvation. His salvation. <laughs> That's what the praise is about. Secondly, for his global sovereignty. Notice who sits on the throne. I mean, there have been many rulers throughout history. And there are many rulers now who rule in the different nations and the different lands. But there is only one ruler, one king, one Lord, one God to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Our God. What an awesome God he is. Third, these saints will praise Him for His gracious sacrifice. The last part of that great anthem that's sung, or loudly, is to the Lamb. Of course, it's a picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus, as He headed to the cross. You remember Thomas. We give old Thomas a hard time. He says, I'm not going to believe unless I see those nail marks. in His hands, His side... I have to see it with my own eyes. You guys know what happened. As a week later, he's there. Jesus comes through. And the Lord says, uh, Here I am, Thomas. See my hands. See my side. He maybe even looked at his, his forehead and, and saw where the crown of thorns had been mashed into his brow. It doesn't even say that he touched his side. It says that he fell to his knees and he said, My Lord and my God, as he recognized the Lamb. Man, when we're up in heaven and there's a declaration here of those who are in heaven, they see the Lamb and they see the scars and the perfect work of Christ. And how could you not worship? How could you not give your full heart to Him who gave His all for us? Now, 
just briefly, let's look at this sevenfold doxology in our text here. Um, in chapter 7, down in verse 12, it says they fell before on their faces before the throne. God, as low as they could go, as they saw how great he was and how much they did not deserve him. They fell before the throne, worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the only doxology in the scriptures that begins with amen and ends with amen. Amen means so be it. It also means this is the truth. In other words, as they fell down before God, they said, this is the truth. And then they declared, you deserve all praise. No one else deserves all praise. You deserve all glory. You're the glorious one. You know, and you think about the church that talks about in the scripture. It talks about Ichabod written on the doors. It says the glory of God is departed. Man, what a sad, sad epitaph. May it never be in, in the place of God and his people where, where it's said of that church, of that group of people, the glory of God has departed. Tell you where the glory of God is. Where God is. Right there in heaven. And it is thrown as they've fallen down on their faces to worship. Said, you, you deserve all glory. All glory. All wisdom. All wisdom is in God. In Christ. And thanks. Man, everything you have to be thankful for. Thank God. It says in the book of James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of all heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Man, He's trustworthy. And the blessings are His. They come from Him. And it says, in honor, <laughs> man, He deserves our full respect. Our honor and power. The power, the dunamis, that, that power of all power. It's His and strength. It is His strength that makes the difference. How long will this last? Be to our God forever and ever. And just like he started, he closed and said, This is the truth. This is the truth. As I worship. As I worship the one true God. Now, it's all gone. 1159, how'd that happen? Okay, let me move on here. Um, <laughs> verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes. Who are they? And where did they come from? The elders are representative of those who were raptured. Met Jesus in the sky. And they're in heaven. And John is speaking to these elders. He says, hey, these, all these people in white robe. Who are they? Where did they come from? That's the question the elders... Given that they're trying to make a point here to John. He answered, he said, sir, you know. In other words, you guys have been up here in heaven. I'm just up here seeing the glory of God up here. This revelation, you've been up here. You know. <laughs> you know. And then he said, these are they who come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, the joys of heaven. Just a few things here I want to point out. First, the believers there are sheltered by the sovereign. 
Notice here in verse 15. We're told about them that they're before the throne of God, serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. God Himself spreads His tent, His tabernacle, His presence over them. And they are perfectly sheltered. They're safe. Man, do you ever feel like you're not safe? You ever afraid of stuff? You ever feel like, this is going to take me out? Let me tell you something. It's not. You know why? Because you are sheltered. God covers you. They're covered. Secondly, they're satisfied with their shepherd. Look at verse 16 here in this declaration. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them. And we see in the previous judgments that part of it, the, of the sun, the hotness of the sun, scorching heat. Morning scorching heat. <laughs> None of this will happen. They're satisfied because of the presence of the Lamb. And I love this. Verse 17, he closed. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear <laughs> from their eyes. He reminded me a little bit of Psalm 23 of the, of the Declaration of David. What he said is, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the Lamb. The Lamb's the Lord. He said, I shall not want, or in other translations, I shall lack nothing. Makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul. He said, he, God himself is going to lead me. He's my shepherd. He's my guide. <laughs> and, and that's the Lamb of God. That's Jesus. And of course, he closes that psalm. Surely goodness and mercy or goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, where are they? They are dwelling in the house of the Lord. That's where they are. They're, they're there. And guys, that's where we're headed. And he closes this great text. Revelation chapter 7. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, we... Sometimes we hear this and say, well, there's just no tears in heaven. Well, I think this is specifically talking about the tears that come because of suffering. And because of great loss. But there are another type of tears that I don't think God's talking about removing from heaven. There are the tears that come out of joy. When you just meet God. We've all had those times. Maybe it's a song you've sang. And I mean, you know, we've all had this. You're singing and all of a sudden God falls. And you find yourself crying. And you don't fully know why, but you just know you're full. <laughs> and, and, and Jesus is there, filled to the full with the Spirit of God. You know, I believe that kind of stuff certainly could happen. I mean, you're sitting there and you're looking at the throne and there's the Lamb of God and He's on the throne and you're seeing the scars. And all of a sudden, the tears just start falling. I mean, you're just leaking all over the place. Why? Because you said, I didn't deserve any of this. Nothing. He gave it all, though. 
that kind of gratitude for the, the perfect Son of God. Reminds us of Romans 8.32 where it says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Christ. It's good stuff. I want to close. Uh, oh, let me make one more point here I got here. Um, you know, it mentions these palm trees. You know, I mentioned last week, you know, there are those that worry about there aren't going to be any trees left on the earth, you know, with all the climate stuff and all that. And, you know, I know, anyway, I know that's a big issue and people talk about all that. But here in Scripture, it says there will be trees. There's palm trees. Everybody's got a palm branch, so, and there's more than you can count, so it must be palm trees up there. The signature tree, is it possible in the capital city of the New Jerusalem, the signature tree will be the palm tree. In the past, in the Roman times, the symbol of the Jewish nation was the palm tree. And when the Romans conquered Israel, one of the things they did to try to destroy the Jewish nation and um, their hope was to design a coin with a palm tree and a vine that showed God's people as slaves and Israel destroyed. But it's just like our God. Would it not be so cool to get up to glory and the tree that had been designated as God's people being enslaved being defeated, being destroyed, is now the symbol that they've been set free. That they aren't slaves of Rome or any other dictator or sin itself, but they now belong to the Savior, to the Lamb of God. <laughs> and, and now they're free. Man, that's the whole beauty of the gospel. We were once slaves... But we've been bought with a price and therefore we are not our own because of His wonderful, wonderful work at the cross. I'm really closing this time, okay? This is from the words of a 19th century pastor. This, this, is, this is good. This, I need to read this because he, he said it better than I could. <laughs> I'm standing on the seashore, a ship at my side, Spreads her white sails to the morning breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She's an object of beauty and strength. And I stand and watch her until at length she hangs like a speck of white cloud. Just where the sea and the sky come down to mingle with each other. And then I hear someone say, there, she's gone. Gone? Where? Gone from my sight, that's all. She's just as large and massed and whole as she was when she left my side, and just as able to bear her load of living freight to the place of destination. Her diminished size is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone at my side says, there, she's gone, there are other eyes watching her, and there are other voices ready to take up the glad shouts, here she comes, she's gone, she's arrived, there they go, here they come. Tears of sorrow here, tears of joy there. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this glimpse into glory.
this moment of magnificence. Father, I, here we are, Lord. You know right where we are, God. And we forget where we're going. We forget whose we are. And others need to know you. What are you up to this morning, Master? How do you want to work in our hearts today? We have an altar that's open. Maybe there are those you are calling to come and to pray. Maybe there are others who need to come and declare you. Something that you are doing in their lives. And and, and the church here needs to know what's happening in the church. And I pray, Father, that you would move, Lord. Maybe there's somebody here and... Father, for whatever reason, they have not trusted this magnificent Lamb of God. And what a great day to do that. To say, I may be a sinner, but He is a greater Savior. And, and I want to put my life in His hands. And I want His forgiveness. And I want the new life He provides. What a great day to do that. Just say, enter my life. Jesus, forgive me. Give me a new path, Lord. Father, maybe there's somebody here that needs to be baptized to follow you through that great step of obedience that I have trusted Christ and now I want to give a testimony to the church, a visual testimony of going under the water and dying to an old way of life and coming up a new person in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And Father, maybe that needs to happen this morning. I just pray that we would be open to the movement of your spirit this morning. As we stand, as we sing, if you call us, may we come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.